I'm continuing. This is week three in our homemade series. If you'll remember from Isaiah chapter four, verse five, that God said, I want to put, I want to establish, not just visit. I want to, I want to make arrangements for it to be there permanently. Listen, my glory, the weight of my presence, the evidence that I am real, I want to put my glory over your house. And when you come together over your assemblies, in the first two weeks we talked about church, New Testament church, that God's plan is that in this place he would establish his glory. And I'm thankful every time we gather in prayer the last few years, and even now, we, you, those who have prayed with us the last few years, the list of prayers that God has answered is getting longer and longer and longer. God is establishing his glory in this place. We've had some ridiculous conversions, salvation experiences, crazy miracles, neighbors getting drawn here by an irresistible magnetic force. God is at work at Restoration Church, and so I'm thankful for it. And we start with the glory on his people, and then the next two weeks, today, and then when I preach after Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about the fact that God wants his glory over your house, where you reside, where you live, where you're raising your children. God wants that there. He doesn't want it just here, and he doesn't want it just at your house. He wants it both places. And most of us grow up, in a, a lot of us grow up in a house where we can't say that his glory was established there. And so we know that he's always going to have his glory or wants to have his glory established in his people, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. And so now we talk about getting it at home. Everybody listen now. It's Thanksgiving week, and we're going somewhere this morning in the Word where we're going to be able to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. But as we talk about, I know, I've known for weeks that this sermon is going to be, it's going to have some delivering power, and it's also going to be the enemy fights a word like this. And as I, as I move into it, I take authority over the enemy who would create stomach cramps, sickness, emergency texts or calls. That I've seen this happen when I teach on this subject. And the enemy pulls people out. And I pray that God will anoint this recording, and this podcast, and that others will hear it. It's a simple truth. It's profound. It doesn't mean it's easy to receive or to live by but it brings deliverance. And Jesus is our deliverer, amen? And so I want to talk to you about generational consequences. And some of us, we've raised children, and our children learn some things we didn't mean for them to learn, and they learn some things we meant for them to learn. It's like the dad who took his son, and he wanted to teach him the dangers of alcohol. And he had two worms, and he put one of the worms down in a glass of water, and the other worm down in the glass of whiskey. And that glass of whiskey killed that worm immediately. And he looked with pride to his son. He said, now, son, what can we learn from this? And the son said, dad, I've learned that if I drink whiskey, I'll never have worms. That's not exactly the lesson that he meant for him to get. 
But the truth is, we all carry the physical DNA, the genetic and biological makeup of our parents. There's a reason why our sons in this church are so handsome. Look at us. There's a reason why our daughters are beautiful. Amen? I mean, look at the women in this church, men. Are we blessed or what? You men are so slow and dumb. If I ever teed it up for you, it's right now. No wonder our daughters are beautiful. Amen? Amen. There's a spiritual DNA that we pass off to. There's an unseen reality that passes between parents and children, grandparents and parents and children. And it leads to generational consequences, good or bad. Often it leads to generational bondage because unfortunately sin travels it travels from one generation to another and there are consequences that we pass on from our own hurts scars and our pain and if you're sitting here going this morning I feel like I'm behind the eight ball I was born between a rock and a hard place well join the crowd we were all born into sin Romans chapter 3 verse 23 but God has made a way that everything that Adam lost Jesus has regained for us we need to understand though that God is a generational God everybody listen to me he refers to himself I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and there's a great sermon there about how God revealed himself and he dealt with each of them and we see, listen, God wants to do something in every generation that is so profound that it impacts the next generation or two. How many of you even now in the year 2019, we're coming into what I believe is a really interesting year, 2020. Does that sound like something from the future or what? How many of you would love, honestly, to see God do something so deep and profound and biblical and spiritual that it would shake the next generation or two after that that's the way he moves that's the way he's always wanted to move he wants to he wants to change us in such a profound way that it has an effect into future generations but god's a generational god we see it all through scripture deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says he is the faithful god who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations psalm 145 verse 4 says one generation shall commend your works to another god wants to do something that we can't help but share it with our children psalm 145 later in that same chapter verse 11 says they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom then he says this your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations how many of you will agree what God is doing in the world is not going to be threatened by the kingdom of darkness God always is going to have a remnant God will be faithful from one generation to the next. How many of you believe God wants to send a move of his spirit that's going to impact this nation in the years to come, no matter what Fox, 
CNN, MSNBC, the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, NBL, and no matter what anybody says, God is sovereign, and he's going to do a work. Now, God plans to generate his blessing on the earth through his people. He wants to do something great. Generate means to be the cause of a situation, to be the cause of an action or state of mind, to define or originate something by the application of one or more rules of operation. To generate something is to set forth principles that ensure what is to come from what was generation, what was generated will happen. God, what does he want to generate? Blessing, favor, life, real life, abundant life. Satan doesn't want that. Satan wants to generate curses such as brokenness, cycles of poverty. Satan wants to generate insecurity and fear and pessimism. Satan wants to generate welfare mentality, anxiety, a victim identity, addictions, divorce, negative attitudes, and human pride. And each generation generates stuff. And all of us this morning, all of us, we sit here with many deposits from the, the past generations that have shaped who we are. There's three things I want to mention this morning. The first is this. We inherit generational consequences. And there are people now who are going, why don't you just say curses? And there's other people going, oh, I hope you get through this sermon in a hurry. This is so tough. And there are people that go, just call it generational curses. I, I don't like to call it curses because the curse has been broken. But if you don't walk through the appropriation of the, what happened on the cross, you will be under a curse. But the beauty is it can just be consequences that we have a choice to not walk in or under the influence of those negative consequences. The Bible says, and you know, there are people, listen, I know this. There are people here that some people, man, don't, that, that's not New Testament. That's not Bible. You know, I, I've pastored and been in ministry long enough to know. I, I don't know, I don't know where you come from. And let's just take this just for a second and set it aside. Have you been around people? Things travel in generations. Things get in a family and they stay there. You probably have grown up and become almost identical to your dad, that you despise the stuff that he used to do. You grow up and you open your mouth and your dad falls out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Candace, Papa Charlie's sitting right over there. You be careful, honey. My dad. But it, it happens, and we need to admit that we inherit generational consequences. Exodus 34, verse 7 says, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Oh, I just see the devil. He, he didn't even like me reading that verse. My iPad shut down. It's all right. We got it back. There are all kinds of things, molds, that we get squeezed into. And just hear me. Cultural molds that shape us, ethnicity that brings certain beliefs and thoughts and responses and defenses, belief systems. Our gender steers patterns of sin in particular directions, and, and so do our families. And that's why the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. I will, I, in studying, this is going to date me a little bit, but there's, there was a song, I don't know, early 80s, I think, when I was in high school, and then when I got to college, Mike and the Mechanics. Anybody remember? I think they were a one-hit wonder. Every generation blames the one before. Remember that? You're going, yeah, it, but not the way you're singing it. I remember it, but not that. The lyrics say, every generation blames the one before, and all of their frustrations come beating on your door. I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father held so dear. I know that I'm a hostage to all his hopes and fears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. Second verse, so we open up a quarrel between the present and the past. We only sacrifice the future. It's the bitterness that lasts. So don't yield to the fortunes you sometimes see as fate. It may have a new perspective on a different date. And if you don't give up and you don't give in, you may just be okay. And the last verse says this, I wasn't there that morning when my father passed away. I didn't get to, I didn't get to tell him all the things I had to say. I think I caught his spirit later in that same year. I'm sure I heard his echo in my baby's newborn tears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. We inherit stuff based on the examples that were set before us, what we were exposed to. We inherit things from our family culture in which we were raised, mindsets, diets even, attitudes, and nothing has had more of a profound impact on who you are than your family upbringing. Nothing that is until you come to Jesus. Oh, somebody. And then, when you come to Jesus, yes, you are who you were raised to be, but you're a brand new creation, and the old is gone, and the new comes. And there's a way out from all of those molds of negativism, of divorce, welfare mentality. There's a lot written about how wherever a person is born, in their socioeconomic state, their education, their fi finance, their health, on and there's a lot of study done that people do not break out. You become 
you normally live the same way, eat the same food, use the same language, except for Christians. And there's some generational bondage breakers in this room. My mom and dad are two of them. And some of you are a generational bondage breaker. Hallelujah. And we can stand this morning and go, okay, we admit, yes, we inherit generational consequences. But this brings me to the second thing that I must say this morning. Jesus broke the power of all curses on the cross. I'm pausing for you to pinch your neighbor, wake up, and agree with me. Listen, he broke all curses on the cross. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, and I'm sorry, chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him. With who? Jesus. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There's some, there's some after effect of being raised and having some inheritance that's bondage and it's like a legal law that you're bound by that Jesus canceled it nailing it to the cross he listen to me he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him in who Jesus that's what happened on the cross flip Wilson was wrong the devil can't make me do anything now. Speaking of dating yourself, flip who? I'm not even going to ask. The cross broke his authority. It didn't remove his power, Satan's. It removed his authority. Listen to me. Authority is the, is the legitimate use of power. Satan, his authority was done away with but his power was not criminals have a gun and policemen have a gun they both have firepower but only the policeman has a badge he has legal authority to use the weapon if he uses it properly correctly appropriately if he doesn't his power becomes illegitimate Satan's authority was broken his authority was broken. Although his power was not, he still possesses power. And this is what we have to deal with. Anything he tries to do to you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, anything he tries to do to you is illegitimate. It's only what you allow him to do can he do to you. Since it is illegitimate, he has to come up with a scheme. A scheme to control you. Oh, somebody please listen. I'm, I'm going to say this stuff slowly because I believe, I believe there's a, like a spiritual bomb getting ready to go off in this place. And there's some freedom coming to us this week and in the coming months at this church. We're going to be a people who's free. Why? Because we're going to preach the word. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and help us embrace the word receive the word and we are going to live the abundant life jesus has for us that's what he went to purchase come on if you want to praise the lord i'll give you a praise break right now so satan has one scheme 
just one he has one trick to keep you bound by everything that he uses to keep you in bondage he has one trick and it is to mess with your mind Satan wants to get in your head Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 he said I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning his deception he's going to do the same to you your thoughts will be led astray here's how he does it please listen Satan has one ploy to get in your head he wants to make his thoughts your thoughts so that after he's put his thoughts in your thoughts your thoughts make your beliefs and actions let's break this down you are 38 years old you've tried to be happily married your parents were divorced two of your siblings are already divorced you thought you loved this woman and it's just too hard and you're convinced that your dad was right it's just hard to be married to a woman and your siblings and you're you're trapped and marriage isn't going to work for you either and you toss in the towel and give up and he got you right here and the reality is addictions alcoholism anger these things sin travels and we we do get visited by the same temptations that our father and grandfather had and so I have to break this down and go no I said till death do us part in sickness and in health and in the good times and the bad and for the sake of the children and the fact that I'm a man of my word and I know that God hates divorce please just hear me out I I have to I wrestle not against flesh and blood but wrestle with what Satan is trying to put in my brain in my thoughts to mess up my beliefs which mess up my actions which create habits which brings me to a lifestyle and I have to say no no I'm not going down that road we are going to make it one way or another and and I just I just I just made it it's a lot more violent than what I may just demonstrated. Am I right? Come on, it's okay. Be okay. We, we're real up in here, okay? Divorce has touched a lot of us. And I know even that, it's like, Pastor Chuck, don't pull that scab back. Listen, God's healing you. He wants to heal you. God's, he loves divorced people. He doesn't like divorce. In fact, yes, he hates it for all the damage that it can generate. But even God forgives and he blesses and the best day of your life I declare is not behind you but we can't sweep 20% or 5% of his truth under the rug and act like it didn't happen the beauty is there are a bunch of divorced people in this church and he still loves us with an everlasting love there's step parents and step children 
That's why we need to be made brand new creations in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. The thought comes from our brain. Even if the seed of the thought came from somewhere else, your mom, your dad, your upbringing, or even Satan himself. That's why we have to. Joyce Myers is right. It's the battleground of our mind. We cannot let stinking thinking, poor, negative, ungodly, unbiblical lies, deception, manipulation get up here. No, in Jesus' name. And even when you know what God says, what does Satan do? He comes with this lie. Did God really say? What did he do to Eve and Adam? Did God really say that? Yes, four verses earlier, if you'd like to read the Bible for yourself, Lucifer, he just said that to me. I was there. I didn't hear it from John Hagee or Paul Walker or Chuck Ramsey. God told me. And Satan still comes. Jesus, what's the last thing Jesus heard as he was coming up out of the waters of baptism? When everybody here, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, he comes out. The first thing Satan says to Jesus, if you're the son of God. What? I am the son of God. The last thing I heard was my father say, I am his son and he's well pleased with me. Satan comes to get you to not trust or take this for what it is so that he can twist this and get something crooked up here. The demonic realm uses the power of deception to put thoughts or belief systems in your head and those thoughts become our actions. Earlier in that same passage of Colossians verse two of chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Everybody say walk in him. I'm going to break this down like we're in youth group. Here. Walk in him. Why did they say walk in him? Because they didn't have cars. It was a pedestrian society. Everywhere they went, they, they, they walked. It's like everywhere you go, walk with knowing that you are in Jesus. You're representing him. It's his spirit in you, the Holy Spirit trying to... And if it was if it was today that Paul would have said drive in him get on Georgia 400 and Old Melton Parkway and Mansell Road and stinking ungodly 140 coming out of south of Cherokee County drive down here pastor Chuck in Jesus thank God he didn't say that but that's what he meant rooted we talked about this last week and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me just stop right here. Pastor Chuck, what a thanksgiving sermon this is. I know, I know, I wrestled. Like, I, I feel that tension. And here's the deal. We acknowledge that generational consequences are real and Jesus broke all curses on the cross 
And Paul is saying right here, listen, you should be abounding in thanksgiving. Well, I, I'm having a hard time because I'm dealing with so much anger that I got from my dad and he got from his dad. Well, let's run to the cross this morning and let's lift our hands and our voices and our hearts and thank God that we're not trapped on some short leash bound by anger for the rest of our lives. You know what the American church, what we are all doing? We're not making Jesus preeminent. Systematic theology, Dr. Don Battle in seminary, he talked about the supremacy of Christ. Jesus, our great high priest on the cross, he didn't just demonstrate God's love for us. No, he broke, he schooled Satan and every demon. He, he owned them so that we could be free. And listen, we should be giving thanks, passionate, heartfelt thanks for who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross. We should be abounding in thanksgiving. Hallelujah. And then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world i love that i don't have time to break all of this down but the ele you live in the world it's an away game for christians we i talk about this a lot this isn't a home game for us we're pilgrims strangers aliens it's not going to be we're, we're going to be overcomers we're going to be able to live an abundant life but we will always be dealing with the negative force of a kingdom of darkness that's trying to rob us of our victory and so, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now, so, what am I saying to you? I'm saying what Paul said. Walk in the truth of Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for you. Rooted, built up. We talked about this last week. Edified, built up in him. See to it that no one gets in your head. Jesus broke all the curses. Point number three, and lastly. We must appropriate the truth of the cross in order to live in freedom. Can I get a witness? Come on, can I get a witness? Now, th this, is, this is the big deal right here, okay? Everybody look at me. People know the truth of the cross. People believe the truth of the cross. But we don't often appropriate the truth of the cross. It's not something you do once. It's something you do probably 15 or 20 times a day if you're walking in the Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 18, even in the Old Testament, verse 2, the word says, what do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. The message translation says this. God is saying, I want you to get rid of this proverb. Quit saying it. The parents ate green apples. The children got the stomach ache. Don't you love the message translation? My dad, he did that, and look what happened to me. And God is saying right here in this passage, stop saying that. Because later he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you've got, you have a choice to make. Not everything that you inherit do you have to keep. Some send it back or take it to the dump. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring, you and your children 
may live. How many of you, who would choose death? Who would choose curses? But we do because he's so cunning and crafty. And I want to say to you, what Restoration Church, let's choose life. Let's choose blessing. That's our option. Jesus would ask in the New Testament over and over, and he would say this, are you willing to be made whole? Do you want to change? You know not every homeless person wants a job. Not every crack addict wants a job. They've found a way to live on the streets and have their needs met, and nothing's really required or expected of them. And there are some people that they don't like their bondage, but they would choose their bondage over what going through what they'll have to go through to get freedom because the enemy has them believing it's really hard and you may not make it. Jesus would say to us, do you want to be whole? W-H-O, not an, a fraction. You want to be an integer. I know for me, and I've had to face some demons. I've had to deal with me. I know me, and you know you. You know the stuff about you. You've heard enough people point out certain things in your life that, yeah, for the first 40 years as a man, you disagreed with them. And you finally realized maybe you're not the smartest human being ever to walk on the planet. Maybe my wife, my parents, my boss, my children, and the Holy Spirit have a point. Anybody ever been there? And you go, do I rise up and defend? Hey, that's who I am. It's how Ramsey's, that's just who we are. No. You can do that, but you've just passed on that junk to your children. You've just passed on that stuff that you don't want to pass on. So I would ask you, and you don't have to respond you know, or express outwardly, but ask yourself, do you want to be whole? I'm going to assume you're saying yes. And then your question would be, how? How can I be made whole? You've got to appropriate the message of the cross. I've talked about this numerous times. It's simple but profound. How do I appropriate the message? Number one, what, what is the message of the cross? Number one, God loves me. For God so loved the world, he gave Jesus. Everybody look. That's easy. I learned that. First grade, flannel graph. God loves me. No. He loves you. There's nothing you can ever do to keep him from loving you. He will never lose his love for you. No matter what you've done, where you've been. Multiple affairs, stripping, clubbing, selling drugs, committed murder. God loves us with an everlasting love and nobody can change that he loves us number two you can be forgiven i can be forgiven i maybe thank god for that no matter what i've done as far as the east is from the west he will remove my sins that far from me 
Even though my sins be as scarlet, he will make me as white as the driven snow, the Bible says. You spill red wine on a white tablecloth, he can take that thing and it will look like it never has even seen red wine. That's what he does to your heart and to mine. He cleanses us. Wow. Yeah, wow in the cross. That's why Jesus, who was perfect, died for us who were imperfect, so we who are imperfect could become perfect. He cleanses us. You can be forgiven. Let me ask you something. I feel Holy Spirit. People go, yeah, I know, I'm forgiven. No, are you forgiven to the point that you're free to love people who don't love you back? You know how you, when you really realize you're forgiven, you're able to love people who aren't really that easy to love. But God wants to forgive us at that level. How many of you just raise your hand and say, I receive your complete forgiveness. Come on, raise your hand. Tell the Lord. Even Just say it out of the abundance of the heart. Just make it a prayer request. I receive your complete forgiveness. And listen, brother, you've got to forgive yourself. God's already forgiven you. Sister, that abortion, I know it rips the heart out of a woman. I have a family member who went through it. And 20 years later, she's still depressed. And Satan tries to control her through that. It's murder, yes. But in this book, some of the greatest men God used were murderers. I know this isn't politically correct, but who cares? We're dying for because we have a cheap imitation gospel. This is the glory of our God. This is the beauty of the cross. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Come on, somebody, praise the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you for your forgiving grace. And I can forgive. Really, yeah, that's the message of the cross. Jesus, are you free enough to wash Simon Peter's feet when he's about to diss you? Jesus did. He would have washed Judas, but Judas had to run off and make secure that deal for those 30 pieces of silver. Jesus, on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. If he, he is saying if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do this. So I plead, forgive them, Father. They don't realize it. What love. Father, forgive them. We can forgive. And I've learned you have to live in an attitude. You can choose to forgive and not be offended. It's your choice. You go, Pastor Chuck, no. It, what, what they did, listen, I've been through it. I don't, you may have been through something more painful, but I don't know. I've had my children messed with. And I had to choose to not let that control me. You can look into a person's face and tell them, tell if they are carrying bitterness and unforgiveness. You can see it. It affects us physically. The Bible says the eye is the window to the soul. You can see right into some person and see if they're still carrying something. And it breaks my heart that 
there are two things Satan uses to keep Christians from enjoying their salvation. One is unforgiveness, and two is generational bondage, and they're usually both, they're related. We don't forgive something that happened to us and it created bondage. That's why we can appropriate the message of the cross. And I would encourage you to realize how forgiven you are so that you'll have the, the divine energy, the Holy Spirit unction to forgive others. And you know what I've learned to do? Get up in the morning and just say, I'm going to have to forgive some people this morning, today. I don't know who they are, but I just choose to go ahead and do it right now. Just live in an attitude of forgiveness. It's not whether you're going to be offended or somebody's going to wrong you. I mean, you know, you are going to be offended. And you're going to be wronged hourly. Am I right? There's a bunch of numbskulls on the planet. They all live in North Atlanta. And they're going to pull out in front of you and get your parking spot at, at Publix. And they're not even pregnant or handicapped. And now you got a, a ministry to correct that injustice. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I touched a nerve. Somebody's getting free right now. Just, just wake up and go, Lord, I just forgive the whole planet. I just forgive them all. They don't even know how special I am. I will forgive them now. They don't know what they're not doing or doing. Just do it. Tell somebody. I forgive you. Just tell somebody. Not, not right here. But you might get... You might, they might need you to forgive them after they punch you in the nose. But just live that way. And then lastly, the message of the cross is you've got to realize resurrection power is available to you. Oh, dude, if I had 30 minutes to preach this, I would. Y'all know how I am. I live, I I've got one gear, it's overdrive. I go from zero to 100 in two and a half seconds. Nobody has to tell me, Pastor Chuck, you need to get excited. People are always telling me, chill, just chill. This is it for me, though. This is ministry. This ruins me for just normal living. The tomb is empty. That ruins me. I don't care what you've been through. You may have, you may have died before, but you're here. Why? Nicole, you've been through something. Feel like you died. Edwin, honey, yeah, but I'm still here. Resurrection power is, so the cross, all the junk I inherited, shoot, it didn't take me out, I'm still living. Resurrection power, no matter what happened, even if somebody kills me, Paul said, I like my options. If I stay, I get to continue to be the influence of Jesus. If I die, I get to go and be with Jesus. If you put me in prison, great. I've got a couple letters I've got to write to the Corinthian church, the Philippians, and the Colossians. And if you don't put me, I'm going to go minister to the Corinthians, the Philippians. The i got to read it. It's like no matter what you do, resurrection power, I am alive and I am alive forevermore. Not only is Jesus is alive, but you are alive. Are you all out there this morning? We live. We live because he lives. All right, last thing. We're closing right here. I want to give you some practical stuff. You're not going to have time to write this down. Just take a picture of it.
okay? In this room, there are generational bondage stoppers, breakers. There's a new generation. And while we sit here going, please look at me in the eye. This pastor is not sitting here going, you need to admit you got generational bondage. I am saying that, but I also want to say, and when you admit that, you've got the opportunity to start a generation of blessing. You've got, this is where I need to spend the rest of the time preaching. We get to leave a blessing, a legacy, instead of our children being stuck behind the eight ball, between a rock and a hard place, we can tee it up for our children to be mighty men and women of valor, to have great ministries, to stand on our shoulders and not deal with the junk we dealt with. We get to tee it up for them to get better and more anointed. Whew, are y'all out there this morning? No matter where you are, no matter where you are, you can turn this thing around. Okay, how? Number one, take responsibility for your spiritual life. Everybody say responsibility. Because your mom and dad ate green apples, don't you sit there going, I'm going to have a stomach ache. No, you're not. Choose not to. They can eat whatever they want. You're not bound by them. Jesus went to the cross for them and you. So you take responsibility. You are not a victim. Everybody say this out loud. I am not a victim. Say it out loud. I am not a victim. Number two, get help. And I'm, I want to talk particularly about counseling, but sometimes if you are caught up in a lot of crippling bondage, you need a prayer session with some people who know how to pray for biblical deliverance. That's the ministry of Jesus. Because that anger, that adultery, that divorce, that alcoholism, those addictions, sometimes you need a brother or sister who know how to take authority and get that stuff reversed so you can start getting some traction. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you might need some counseling. You probably will. Thirdly, commit to intimate fellowship with other, keywords, strong believers. If you're the most spiritual person you know, you need to get out more often, sister. Seriously. If I, I don't let myself, I, I, I have to be intentional about being around people who cannot just take from me but put in me. We have to be commit to intimate fellowship with other strong believers. Number four, refuse to be uprooted when offense comes. Choose to not be offended. Choose to not say, I give up. I'm leaving. Choose. And lastly, live in an attitude of forgiveness. We've already talked about this. All right. Talked about it earlier. Live just knowing you're going to have to forgive people. Anybody getting anything? I'm feeling like I'm going to, I'm going to go home and listen to this sermon every day this week because I need it. Now, most of you all know this stuff. Our, our, our seven children, we talk a lot about, and they are grateful for the heritage they have, and they talk a lot about it. And we try and help them understand, you know, my dad right here was, he was a toddler, 19 months old, when his dad came in from World War II PTSD before they even knew what it was had a jealous rage he unloaded six bullets 
in the back of my dad's mother. And I saw my grandfather one time who spent 51 years in a state penitentiary. And dad saw him after that when he was 19 months old, one time. And we were together. And it shook my dad for months and years. He often talks about how deranged and messed up he was in that state penitentiary. Nobody, there were a bunch of siblings, but nobody wanted to take Charlie and raise him. He became an object of scorn in the family. And so they sent him off to an orphanage. And I've prayed and thought through that this week and thank God for what God has done in Dad. My mother the same. She remembers her grandfather getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit praying in the spirit in a barn in Galax, Virginia, just across the Virginia-North Carolina line. I never heard it, but because she heard it and she's talked about it, it's like I heard it. I can imagine the day when they ran the, the newspaper article about what happened. I'll bet you nobody thought little Charlie is going to grow up and amount to anything. I can imagine the depression, the, the labels, the, the poor little victim mentality. And I've heard my dad talk about how from one year to the next and how God brought him to a saving knowledge, raised him up. He spent years in ministry, pastoring. And now his son and daughters are in ministry. And people are being touched literally through Bruce and Rhonda and City of Refuge and here at Restoration Church. I'm up here because he was not a victim. I'm up here. Listen. Hallelujah. You may have been through some stuff, but you're called as of November 24th, 2019. We are a generational bondage-breaking machine at Restoration Church. We're not victims. There's resurrection power flowing through our veins. We are children of the Most High God. We will reverse the curse through the power of the cross. We will not get a divorce. Our marriage will make it, and we will flourish. Are y'all out there? I will not move from one church to the next to the next because the pastor said one thing that I didn't agree with or I was offended by or someone didn't shake my hand when I came in or someone took my parking spot. No, Psalm 92, we talked about last week, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. How many of you listen? They are planted in the house of the Lord. How many of you are planted? Come on, how many of you are saying, my roots are going down deep, I am planted. And therefore what? You will flourish. You will blossom. You will flourish in the courts of the Lord. Come